0: Welcome to the Jongets Games podcast. In today's episode, you'll be hearing the edited audio from the live Q&A vlog that happened on September 10th, 2020. As always, I'd like to mention that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support coming in through the Patreon campaign for the channel. If you enjoy listening to these vlogs instead of watching them, then I do hope you would consider supporting that campaign, and you can learn more about it by going to patreon.com slash Games. The final thing I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as comments on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. Let's start things off with a question from Alan Ollie. This is actually a question that came in uh, in the previous uh, Q&A vlog, but I didn't quite answer it in time. Uh, They asked, if I was to have a second YouTube channel that was unrelated to John Gets Games, what would it be about? And um, I I guess I wanted to answer this one because I got to plug my other YouTube channel because this is not a hypothetical. I have another YouTube channel that I barely use. It's called John Gets Bored, B-O-R-E-D. And I've had that one for many more years longer than John Gets Games, in fact, that's why this is called Jungus Games, because it was a play on my previous YouTube channel where I had some um, uh, 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 streamlined videos of me playing some board games like Eclipse. Uh, uh, time-lapse, that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, and I also have some videos of me camping and paragliding and um, go-karting and racing cars and all sorts of various stuff that I used to do. But um, So, yeah, that's the other channel that would exist if I was to have another one. It does exist, and it just has the various things I used to get up to before I really started going crazy on uh, board games. Uh, all right. Let's move on to the next question. Uh, the first question that's uh, live for today from John Wheeler, and you asked, what did you think about Tawantin Suyu? Uh So that is a new board and dice game that I did a playthrough for, um, I guess, a few weeks ago. It was one of the tutorial-style uh, videos that I've done, uh, uh, that I'm doing now that's new. Um, and I thought it was pretty neat. I, I have to admit, it seems like In general, the games that Board and Dice put out are not necessarily targeted at me in particular. I feel like I say this every single time, Um, but there's a lot of really cool things going on in that game. I feel like it might have one or two more systems than I would really prefer, uh, which I think I've said about um, Teotihuacan and Tekenu and uh, (laughs) most of their games, it seems. Um, In uh, Tawantinsuyu, I really like the idea of a worker placement game where the workers stay forever. So you just have this big open board, and you're adding workers as the game goes on, filling in and giving more and more opportunities to yourself and your opponents based off of the colors. Um, But again, I feel like just having the extra scoring for like the different actions at the top of the pyramid plus all the other actions on the board, it might be just a little bit more than I want to sit down and teach uh, regularly. So I'm not sure how many times I'm actually going to end up playing that one. I respect the design. I think it's really cool. Um, It's just once again is a little bit more complex than the type of game that I usually try to hone in on. Uh, All right. Andy Herman asks. I have a Feast for Odin coming in the mail along with the Norwegian's expansion. Good decision. Uh, Would you recommend starting with uh, just the base game or diving into the expansion? Um, I would heavily recommend you start with the expansion right away. Um, The reason for that is because while the Norwegian's expansion to a Feast for Odin does add some new content, it also is effectively... A new version of the old game, you throw out the old board and the expansion comes in with a new action board. And that is the way you should play this game. The action board is better balanced. It's uh, certainly better balanced for the different player counts. So I would suggest certainly playing with the Norwegians expansion, at least with the action board, because it's just better. Um, and you can leave out the other bells and whistles if you want to. You don't have to use the uh, asymmetric sheds in front of yourself. Uh, you don't have to use extra islands. There are definitely some things that you don't have to add in to that. That game, if you don't want to, um, so I would give that a shot. Um, normally, I would say don't play a game with the expansion right away, but the Norwegians expansion really did. It didn't fix a broken game. Uh, Feast Roaden was fine by itself, but it turned a good game into an amazing game, and it really did uh, um, smooth out a lot of the rough edges that the game had. So I strongly recommend you just jump right in, um, and you're probably gonna have a great time. I love that game. Uh, Matthew Dudley asked, "How are things with your Bernadoodle?" Uh, well, okay. <laughs> With that in mind, I'm going to go grab my dog uh, just because she hasn't been on screen for a minute. So stand by one minute. Okay. Here she is. (laughs) Uh, uh, Somebody asked about our Bernadoodle, and that is Puffin right here, our amazing dog. Um, She hasn't really been on screen since about a year ago when I first got her, and I brought her on to a vlog, and she is obviously full-grown now. She's 35 pounds. She's a wonderful little dog who does not honestly like being held that much, so I'm only going to hold her for a minute, but uh, she's doing really great. Uh, She is super adorable. She's uh, relatively... um, uh, even-keeled. Uh, she only really barks at the mailman for the most part. She likes to uh, lay around all day, and um, yeah, she's just a really easy-going dog. She's my first dog, and it's been great having her in her life, so I'm going to stop bugging her now and let her go. I'll be right back. And, uh, yeah, I hope <laughs> you think she's as adorable as I do. I think she is amazing. Scamp Sign asks, what other game would you give a Norwegian expansion to if you could? Um... Yeah, I think that's a relatively easy answer. Uh, My first thought is uh, Gaia Project. I love that game, uh, which in in and of itself, it's kind of like a Terra Mystica 2. It's got a lot of similar things to Terra Mystica. But I would love an expansion to Gaia Project that smoothed out some of the rough edges. And in particular, I would love an expansion to that game that actually lowers the complexity. I would love for an expansion to come in and make a Gaia project playable without the actual Gaia forming, uh, where you actually turn the, um, uh, the purple planets into the green planets. I have no problem starting with a map with green planets because those add a lot to the game, but I'm really not a fan of the guy forming mechanic, and it's so baked into that game that I feel like an expansion could exist that would strip that out and make it more of a quicker game, less rules to teach, and I think probably a smoother experience. But I think the odds of that happening are zero. <laughs> All right. John Wheeler asks, how are you doing with school? Um, This uh, relates to, uh, well, I mentioned this, I think, two update vlogs ago, where I'm uh, starting to take some classes for project management certification. Um, The short answer is I am just finishing my first class. It was an eight-week class, so two months are over, and I'm going to be finishing it up um, realistically tomorrow. I've got, like, a final uh, test to do and a final paper to write. Um, And the short answer is... (sighs) I've survived the class. I haven't enjoyed it very much, but I don't really like classes in general, and I am not super convinced this is the direction I want to go in. I'm also not convinced that it's not the direction I want to go in. I was hoping I would take the class and it would tell me, yes, do this. Go in that direction. This is going to help fix everything, but I am not so sure about that at this point, so I might take some more classes in it. It's a seven-class certification, and I'm just about to finish one out of the seven, so I'm going to take a little bit of a break, at least a month break from it, uh, to talk to some people and try to see where I'm at and um, just forge ahead in some way. I'm, I might take more classes. It's it's hard to say right now. I, I definitely have not thoroughly enjoyed the experience, but that's not surprising considering I've historically not liked taking classes. Uh, Kevin says, or asks, I really like your video about Arkwright, the card game. Any chance you could do a video about the original Arkwright? Um, I think, I mean, there's definitely a chance of it happening. for a game like that, uh, first of all, I've never played the original Arkwright. I've never actually been in the same room as it, at least to the best of my knowledge. So um, that's not one I have experience with. So my first experience with the Arkwright system was with the uh, streamlined version of the card game. Um, If I had a copy available to me and uh, it was requested to have a tutorial made for it, then um, I could see that potentially happening, but I think the odds of that are relatively low overall, but, you know, never say never. (laughs) That would certainly be, uh, at least from what I've heard, a big endeavor, because I don't even know how to play it, but I've heard it's many hours long, and it has a lot of stuff going on to it. Uh, No pun included says, I'm pretty sure that the expansion exists, and it's a standalone expansion called Terra Mystica. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, they are talking about my uh, expansion to Gaia Project, making it simpler. Yeah, but I liked a lot of the new things that are in Gaia Project, in particular with Terra Mystica, I th- those temple tracks always frustrated me. I know that, that a lot of people mention this, but I like the fact that in Terra Mystica there are these tech tracks that are kind of different every single time you play the game, whereas in uh, or that was Guy Project, whereas in Terra Mystica the temple tracks are really just a way to score points, which I found really uninteresting. So I guess what I want, I guess what I really want is I don't want an expansion to Gaia Project that dumbs it down. I want an expansion to Terra Mystica that brings it to halfway between Gaia Project and Terra Mystica. I want the Terra Mystica expansion that removes the temple tracks and brings in technology and maybe some of the other things that I quite liked in Gaia Project that were new. So I guess that's a slightly better answer to it. Scamp Sign says, Friedman Freeze frankly feels... Like, he fashions games infrequently. Finally, FAM has been finished. Have you fashioned your feeble eyes on it and fetching any fun feelings? (laughs) So uh, every Friedman Fries game, at least in German, starts with an F. So that's obviously what they were going off of there. And I suppose actually that is a game that I'm very interested in trying. Um, I don't know a lot about it yet. I know that there is at least one blog post on BGG explaining it in more detail, and the rules are posted on BGG. I just haven't gotten around to reading them yet, but my understanding is it's a deck-building game where you never draw from your deck. You always draw from your discard pile, so the order in which you play cards is going to matter when you draw them back up again. I don't fully understand how that works, but it sounds super neat, so that is certainly one game that I'm very interested in, and um, that will be popping up on the Games Radar vlog that's likely going out next week or so. So that's all I really have to say about it yet, but that was a wonderful F alliteration. Uh, Let's see. Trevor asks, any interest in Raiders of Scythia? Um, I think that's how you pronounce it anyway. Um, It's my understanding that Raiders of Scythia is just a retheme of Raiders of the North Sea. I think it is. I'm going to check this one real quick. Let's see. Uh, Yeah, Raiders of the North Sea. So it's a re-implementation. And I bought Raiders of the North Sea back when it first came out. I think it was a Kickstarter. Uh, I'm not really sure. This was a long time ago. Um, I ended up playing that game just once or twice. Actually, I can look it up. It's all on the internet. It just has to... Wait, I only played it once. I owned it, and I only played it once. Um, and the reason I only played it once is because it really didn't go over that well with my friend group. Uh, back then, My the number of people I played games with was a lot smaller. In fact, <laughs> if I keep going back over there, when did I play that one? Um, that was uh, December of 2015. Oh, okay, so Junkets Games definitely existed at that point. But it was a fine game. It just felt really strange, and the people I played with didn't love it. So when it comes to Raiders of Scythia, I love the art. I think it looks really great and I wouldn't mind giving the game another shot. If I remember correctly, I liked it more than most of the other people around the table but um, you know, when it doesn't really catch for a lot of the people I play games with a lot um, that's going to be hard to get back to the table. I'm pretty sure I kept that one for a couple of years after that um, and I never really pushed to have it back out on the table so maybe it just suffered from a poor first impression for our group um, but you know, I hope that it does well. I don't think the game is necessarily bad. It just didn't really connect with all of us and hopefully. this new version will connect with more people. I certainly wouldn't mind playing it again at some point. Uh, Matthew says, are you excited about the new Feld games and Haunted Titanic, a big box, releasing in October? Uh, Yes! Um, The new Feld games look great. Um, Bruges is one of my favorite Feld games. I really love that game, and it looks like In Hamburg, which is a new version of Bruges, um, they are smoothing a lot of the issues out, so I'm quite excited to try that out. There's a new die that you roll. There's a lot less luck of the draw with the uh, cards that you are drawing uh, because you don't have shuffled-up decks. You just have face-up decks with the card backs that are, I guess, shuffled. So I'm really looking forward to trying that one. Uh, Amsterdam looks cool. That's a new version of Macau. I've only played Macau once, and I remember liking it, but I've never owned it. So I've never really had an opportunity to play it again. So I'm looking forward to trying that one as well. There's no way that I'll remember what is different in the new version versus the old version, but um, I think it's pretty likely that I will enjoy it. Um, I did see somewhere in a tweet or maybe in the Board Game Geek forums um, it was alluded to that they are going to do a new version of Oracle of Delphi. They haven't announced the name of it at all. I just I saw that somewhere. It seemed like someone was saying yes, that is happening, and I'm very interested to check that out because Oracle of Delphi is probably my favorite Feld game. Over Overall, um, I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's a really great game. I even played it about a month ago and still really enjoy it, but it does have some rough edges, so I'm quite curious to see what a new city version of the Oracle of Delphi could end up being. Uh, As far as the Haunted Titanica big box is concerned, I own a few of those expansions already, so I'm excited that more people get to enjoy that game because I think Haunted Titanica is amazing, but... I am not personally excited for it, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not going to go out and buy it. Uh, My expansions all fit in the box. It's not a big box. It's a nice skinny box about that thick, which is just about perfect for my uh, shelf. And if I'm being honest, my box is super scuffed up, like really, really scuffed up. And I kind of like that. I I like seeing that box and knowing that I took it to tens and tens of board game nights back in like uh, 2009, 2010, 2011. I like seeing it so beat up because it kind of tells the story of, how many times I played this game, and I played that game well over twenty times. Uh, all right, I've talked about that for a while. <laughs> let's see. Uh, David S says, "I love your review style, but have somewhat different taste in games. So, what are the meanest, most interactive games that you love?" Hmm, that is tough to say. Uh, I could definitely go once again to Board Game Geek and see how I've rated things. I do try to rate these things somewhat honestly, and let's see what the first thing. To jump out at me as being mean and interactive is. Hmm. So looking down, Terraforming Mars is right up there. I don't wouldn't say it's mean. Occasionally, it can be a little bit interactive, but um, it's not too bad. But that one is ranked really high up there for me. Arboretum is an amazing game that is incredibly mean. Uh, so that would definitely be one that would count. And Colorado as well is also an excellent game that I love um, where you can do something that definitely interacts with your opponents, that leaves them swearing at you. Uh, So I would say Arboretum and Colorado would be uh, two really good picks for um, uh, those kind of games that really uh, make you interact with your opponents. And, you know, (laughs) I've never had like friendships be broken with these games, but I have definitely heard a lot of loud swearing uh, in particular with Colorado. That's a very simple looking game, but man, (laughs) people can really get into it. Blake, uh, have you thought about making a playthrough with another board game channel? Um, I haven't thought about that too much. I've definitely given some thought to ways that I could potentially collaborate, um, and I know a lot of people do that, um, but... There's a lot of logistics involved in that, and also it's a totally different thing trying to play a game with other people and make it entertaining for a third party versus me playing the game as multiple people trying to make it entertaining for the third party, which is the people who are watching it. It's a lot easier for me to try and explain that situation instead of kind of make it a voyeuristic experience where people are watching you play. Um, I I imagine that could happen, but it would probably take a decent amount of work, and it's just not something I've really invested uh, time into. Sin Trader says, any chance you'll be playing Trois Dice? Um, There is a chance. I'm quite interested in it. I've never actually played the original Trois. That is one of those games that I always meant to get to, but I never owned and I never... But I don't think I really knew anybody who owned that game, or at least they didn't tell me that they owned it. Um, It looks neat. I've definitely watched a playthrough of it once. I think Slicker Chips did a playthrough of that one. Um, So I'm quite interested in a new version of that game as well. I think um, either version is probably something that I'd like. I haven't actively hunted it down at this point, but it is something that I'd like to play at some point in the future. Gorilla Buddy asks, what is the best family game? Uh, As far as a family game is concerned, for that, I think of, like, games with very simple rules uh, that can get people in and playing uh, relatively quickly, but it's still fun. Uh, The first thing that jumped out to me, and I think this is a pretty good recommendation, is Adventureland. Uh, I really, really like that game, and it is incredibly simple to teach. Um, The game comes with, I think, three different modules of increasing complexity. I've always played it at the third module because this is a very lightweight game overall. But in this game, you are essentially just moving pawns down or to the left. Uh, and you, every single turn, draw some cards and they put stuff out on the board. So the decision space is actually surprisingly interesting. Uh, there can be some really high moments and low moments as well, but you can teach this game in like five minutes overall, especially the simpler uh, play types. Uh, so I, I really recommend that game. That's one I don't see leaving my collection. Um, honestly, I wouldn't mind playing that again soon. I, I really like that one. And as far as family weight games are concerned, I think it's uh, right near the top. James says, I wanted Oracle Delphi for a while. Interesting that there's going to be a new one. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very strange game in the world of Feld games overall. Um, it's a race. You know, you don't actually get any victory points at all. I guess you could consider the tasks that you're doing are as victory points, but it feels like a race game. And every time I played it, I've just really enjoyed the experience. And it seems to be divisive. A lot of people really don't like it. I think because it is quite different in feel from a lot of other Feld games, and there is a not insignificant amount of roll to resolve. When you're trying to fight monsters, you just keep rolling your die, but you can get a bunch of resources to make lots of rerolls happen, and if I'm being honest, that's the part of the game I'm hoping they tweak the most with this new version, which, again, has not been announced. I just somewhere bumped into something where either someone at Queen Games or Stefan Feld themselves mentioned that there would be a new copy, but that hasn't been officially announced. I just saw it somewhere, so I guess take that with a grain of salt. Uh, Alexander asks, how old are you? I am 36. Yeah, pretty sure. I'm 36 closing on 37. One of those two, <laughs> it starts to matter to me less. Sometimes I think I'm 38, which is just very wrong. Uh, all right. Uh, no pun included asked about teach you, uh, for a mean game that I love. I did actually consider that. I saw that on the list and I guess, uh, I, in a lot of ways, for Tichu. You You know, it's a a partnership-based game, you and a partner versus two other people, and you can actually really make people's lives hard. So I guess that would be a pretty good recommendation as well. I guess the fact that you play as a team kind of dulled my feeling of that one being at least mean overall, but that might not necessarily be true. Um, That game is very brilliant as you're trying to work with your team, trying to uh, win, <laughs> trying to uh, smash your opponent's faces down as much as possible. So you really can uh, wreck people's days with that game. So that is probably a good one as well. But as far as like you know, loud outbursts are concerned, I feel like Colorado and Arboretum might have a few more per average minute <laughs> than Teachu would. But I've definitely heard some loud outbursts when playing Tichu. Uh D.W. Squirtle asks, "What are your favorite solo games?" Uh, this is a really easy one to answer. Uh, I don't play any. Solo games. So, I don't actually have any favorites. I've tried a few times throughout the last decade or so, uh, and I almost never finished the game. Uh, sometimes, like I remember Trismegistus, when I was trying to learn that game, I tried to play through the solo version to teach myself how to play so that I'd be ready for the playthrough that I filmed. And I got about, I don't know, one third of the way through the game and I just stopped. Not because I didn't like the game, but I just have a really hard time getting into solo games. Like, I, I, there's something about it I just don't care as much about proceeding throughout the game. There's some part of the magic circle that just does not Get cast for me. Whereas when I'm playing with even one other person, suddenly the only thing that matters is trying to win, or maybe not the only thing, but it really matters that magic circle happens, and it just does not grab me for the solo experience. Uh, I'm not really sure why, and I'm really glad it does for a lot of other people. That's just something I I've never really been able to understand. Almost like it's a flavor that I can't taste. I'm like I see people eating it. I see people like saying they love it. Every time I eat it, I feel like I may as well just not be eating it. So uh, that's kind of where I stand with those. Uh, Alan Ali asked: uh, Many Euro games are named after cities, and while themeless feature a landmark of some sort of city, are cities you'd like to see featured in any Euro games? Um, hmm, that's possible. I mean, a lot of Euro games are European city centric, and I don't spend—I uh, don't know a lot about most European cities. Um, I will say that um, the game uh, Paris. I think, yeah, that one has an Arc de Triomphe right in the middle. And I've been to Paris many times because I have family in France. So I I did like seeing that. Like, I've been to that spot where it's got these crazy roads all meeting in this massive roundabout. So seeing that in the game was uh, certainly quite cool. Um, Thinking about other things, though, um, I don't know. It'd be kind of cool to see a board game that prominently uses the Golden Gate Bridge. I see that pretty much every day. Uh, The hour-long walk that we take our dog on um, is just across the bay from the Golden Gate Bridge, so I get really great views of that, and I'm sure it's been in many games in a very small way, but I feel like there's got to be a game out there that could use the Golden Gate Bridge in a big way. It's such an iconic bridge. Um, So I guess that would be the one. I don't think there's any game called San Francisco or Golden Gate Bridge for that matter, but I think that could happen. I'm sure there's a good game in there somewhere. Let's see. Alexander asked, what did you think of Clank? I played Clank a few times. I got that one uh, back when it first came out. I didn't get it at that Gen Con, even though I was there, but I got it relatively recently afterwards. Um, I thought it was fine. It didn't really catch me like it caught so many other people. Um, I enjoy deck building, and the idea of a racing deck builder game where you're trying to go down and then come back up again is uh, fun. Oh, wait. Actually, I just realized I was there for the Gen Con when Clank and Space came out, not the original Clank. Uh, I don't think I've actually played Clank in space, but I did play the original Clank several times. And um, yeah, it was fine. Uh, I didn't end up keeping it in my collection because it didn't really stick too much with me. Uh, I just had a feeling like if I played it too much more, I'd have a a route that I would end up trying to take more often than not, which is why Clank in space seemed a little more interesting with the uh, variable board. I just never got around to actually playing that one. D.W. Squirtle asks, have you tried Tabletop Simulator? What are your thoughts on it? Uh, you're awesome, by the way, and I love your videos. Thank you. That's really nice to hear. Uh, yes, I have uh, definitely tried Tabletop Simulator. I'm going to load up Steam right now because I'm curious. Um, I have played uh, tons of games since the uh, <laughs> the COVID happened, essentially. Uh, I had barely used Tabletop Simulator at all before um, Shelter-in-Place happened for everybody. But um, in the last six months or so, I have played... 300 hours of Tabletop Simulator, which seems like a lot to me. I'm sure there's some people who have a lot more than that under their belt. Um, But yeah, I've played uh, tens of games on Tabletop Simulator at this point. Uh, We played an entire King's Dilemma campaign through Tabletop Simulator. It's definitely not... the best <laughs> overall. It's not the best way to play games, but I am very comfortable in there now after playing it for over 300 hours. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a decent way to play games. And I'm curious how many games I'll play in that once regular game nights resume. It's certainly possible. It might happen. Uh, D.W. Squirtle asks, "What are your favorite games?" Um, the best way, actually, for me to answer that for you is uh, for you to just check out my uh, board game geek uh, username. Uh, it's Happy Hexagon, and I have rated. About 900 games, so you could go there and check the ratings. I try to update those every couple of months or so, so they're pretty accurate. Um, That would definitely be the best way to to see (laughs) without me just going through and battling off a bunch. Uh, Koiti asked, um, is it you that creates all the graphic design for your channel? Is there a story about the color orange or the logo of the channel? Yeah, definitely. There definitely is. Um, Yes, Uh, with a big asterisk. I am the one who does all the graphics to the channel. Uh, The only uh, thing that I have not done is the logo itself. I I did not make the logo. Um, The logo was made by the uh, significant other of an old coworker of mine. Uh, This was many years ago. I don't know, four, five years ago, something like that. Maybe even more. It's hard to say, but I'd had Jungit's Games for at least a year at that point, and I was doing a show with him. It was working my event job, and I just kind of mentioned offhand that, you know, I'd been messing around with the logo, but nothing I did looked right, and he mentioned that his his partner is a graphic uh, designer, so uh, we ended up, uh, he ended up uh, bringing us together, and um, (laughs) they worked on it for, like, 10 months with me on that logo. I'm not going to go into all the details, but it was an incredibly anxiety-filled experience for me. It was so hard to actually come up with the logo that I was happy with. Um, there was lots of different ideas and I vetoed most of them, pretty much all of them because I just didn't like them. I just ex- uh, kept expecting something to just reach out and be like, yes, I am the logo and and I'd just be really happy about it. Um, in the end, that is not this logo. I actually quite like this logo right now, um, but after about 10 months of working on it, I did kind of go with the best option that we had, even though I wasn't entirely sold on it at the time. Um, The logo is obviously a light bulb that's in a hexagon shape, and that was my wife's idea, and I really do like that idea. It's a very subtle way to bring board games in, and the idea of the light bulb was that I got games. You know, I I also acquire games. Several of the logos were like a pile of games to try and uh, accentuate the idea that I receive a lot of games when I get them. Um, But uh, we also tried some that kind of brought in both definitions of get, uh, but we ended up going with the light bulb for just the way I think about games, especially considering back then this was primarily a review channel. Uh, Now, when it comes to the JGG as the filament inside the logo, that was entirely the graphic designer. Um, It was their idea. They were playing around with some stuff. And they said, by the way, check this out. I I put, you know, the curly cues of the filament. It says JGG. And I fell in love with that. Uh, I thought that was super cool. So we tried to make it as big as possible, even though people usually don't actually notice it. It's a bit of an Easter egg in the logo. Um, And the rest is kind of history. (laughs) When all the dust settled, they asked me for like $50. It was just it was crazy low. I said, no, I refuse to give you $50. I ended up paying them 500 or $450, I think, which still seemed like an absurdly low amount of money for this logo, considering they worked on it off and on again for 10 months. Our email chain had like 100 emails in it going back and forth. Um, so I am, to this day, very appreciative uh, for them giving me A really great logo. I really do like it. I'm appreciative to Jessica for coming up with the idea of the light bulb with the hexagon around it. I think it really does stand out these days, Um, even though it was just such an arduous experience way back then. I was just really wrapped around the axle about it. Uh, But, yeah, these days I like it. Uh, As far as the orange is concerned, it just seemed like a good color. It seemed like, you know, a light bulb. Maybe orange would make sense for it. Uh, We messed around with it a lot because we didn't want it to be too dark, uh, but we also didn't want it to be too bright. We ended up on this one, which I like well enough, and we've just used it from that point on. Um, Everything else from a graphical perspective has been me. Uh, I've, you know, picked the the font uh, types. I've picked all of the other stuff. I just whipped that stuff up into Photoshop, but the the biggest thing, obviously, is the logo, and I did not do that. Sorry for the very long story for that one. Uh, All right. Koiti asked, what is your thoughts on Food Chain Magnate? I've played Food Chain Magnate three times, I think, and my quick thoughts on it are, I think it's a really cool game that does not work very well for my brain. Uh, That is a mean game, for sure. Uh, I've played it, like I said, three times, and... I've enjoyed the stuff that I've do, been doing in that game. As you are building out this food empire, you are hiring people, um, you're building out your uh, your chain of command with all of your employees and your marketing to figure out the prices for the food that you're uh, selling. But I definitely played, at least one of those games was brutal, where I essentially lost because someone was able to price like $1 under me. They sold all their stuff, all my food rotted, and I was never able to come back from that point. Um, I don't think the game is bad. I just think it's, a lot more consequential in its decisions and a lot more interactive than I necessarily like. So I'm glad it exists, but it's not one that I'm likely to play again in the future. Koiti asked, what is the most beautiful game that you have played and why? Huh? I'm sure I've played a lot of really beautiful games. Uh, I'm not really sure. Let's see. Let's go back to the list of games and see if anything near the top of the list jumps out to me as being particularly beautiful. Um, I really did like Arboretum. I know I mentioned that before. I have the original version of that game, uh, which had uh, just some really stunning, vibrant art on it. Um, I, I like the art from that version better than the new Renegade Games version. I think mine was the Z-Man Games version. Um, I just, I thought those trees looked so beautiful and I love putting them down. And it was such a great um situation where you had this beautiful calm trees that you're putting out as people are just like ripping their hair out of their head with anxiety over trying to make their decisions. Um Agra I think is a really beautiful game even though the board is very busy. I like looking at the board if that makes sense like there's a lot of really gorgeous stuff going on in that game. Uh Brass Lancashire and Birmingham have gorgeous boards. Um uh, th- those are really nice to look at as you're glancing on them. Uh so yeah I think That's, uh, oh, and Aquatica. That's another one that I really like. So, I mean, the reason for why I like them, it's just something about the art that pops out to me. I I like a wide variety of art in games. I can do a watercolor look. I can really dig cartoons like in Fort. I really like the art in Fort. Um, And sometimes something that's hyper-realistic, like uh, like on A Column of Fire and other uh, games like that one, um, can really be great for me as well. But in general, I don't focus too much on the art in games. Okay. DW Squirtle asks, any advice to someone who's trying and starting to build an audience and a community for themselves? Uh, Yeah, the the best advice that I have is this. um, Keep doing it until you don't want to do it anymore. Uh, The best way that you could build up an audience is uh, through consistently doing the thing that builds an audience. I'm not sure if you have a podcast or a YouTube channel or a blog, um, but you just have to be consistent. I started doing this back in 2014, um, and I've put out hundreds of videos now. At the beginning, I was putting out one video every one to three weeks or so. And obviously, for the last couple of years, I've been averaging about two videos a week. Um, But being consistent over time will add up. Um, I'm not sure if I'm a great... Uh, story about that or not, because, you know, obviously I've been doing this for six and a half years now, and while my subscriber count is great, I'm really, i really happy to see that, and there are people who have been doing this just as long with a lot less um, uh, engagement from the community. There are also people who have been doing this for half as long as I have who have significantly more engagement. <laughs> so I will say that you can play into the strengths of community engagement more than I have. I've just made the thing I want to make, and I've hoped people would like it, but you can definitely make a thing that you know people will like, like lots of top 10 lists or something like that if you want to grow. But the biggest thing is just to be consistent. But as I said, keep making it until you don't want to anymore. That's really important. You have to double check with yourself and be like, am I still enjoying this? Yes or no? If it's a no, well, you only have one life to live. So maybe make a change or stop doing it. Um, That's the reason I've made so many significant changes to this channel over the years, because I've had an honest conversation with myself where I've decided I don't want to make reviews anymore and I don't want to make extended playthroughs anymore. And those kind of things, can be really hard decisions to make, but um, making those hard decisions while continuing to just do the thing is the way to do it. Um, I distinctly remember after Dongus Games was like two years old, I looked at some metrics and I was like, all right, if I keep doing this for another five years, I'll have like 30,000 subscribers. And here I am, five, 000, uh, five years later, with 30,000 subscribers. Um, at the time, that seemed kind of like a crazy amount of time, but I just kept doing it. And I was always hoping the numbers would get bigger, like at an exponential rate, but um, even so, You just keep doing it and the people will hypothetically come. Of course, if your content is good, that's also a big part of it. I'm not sure exactly what you do, but, but yeah, just be consistent and be sure to keep checking in on yourself. Uh, DW Squirtle asks, do you like sports or do you have any other hobbies besides board games? Um, In the past, I've liked sports. Uh, There was a few years where I avidly followed baseball, uh, and back in um, college, I played a lot of racquetball. Uh, That's probably my favorite sport to play, even though I haven't really played it in at least a decade now. Um, Something about that game. I just really, really loved racquetball. Um, I never really played team sports with other people uh, for the most part. I've never really been a particularly athletic person. Uh, I was the kid reading Star Wars books on the benches over (laughs) over, uh, lunch breaks instead of playing basketball with everybody else when uh, I was in middle school and whatnot. Uh, As far as other hobbies are concerned, I don't really have any other hobbies. <laughs> Board games has kind of taken over everything else. Uh, when I first started uh this YouTube channel, I was paragliding and I was also kiteboarding. Uh, those were I guess those are sports. Um, you don't really compete for the most part with them. Um, when I was in my twenties, especially my late twenties, I went through a daredevil phase. <laughs> I went skydiving and, you know, I, I took up kiteboarding in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is pretty intense. And then I looked for something a little bit less intense, which involved paragliding, which means jumping off cliffs and flying around for hours. And I did that for a few years, actually several years. Um, but ultimately board games is something that I just ended up doing for most of my time. Um, and actually with the paragliding I had, um, during a training, I did a kind of a survival course training thing where you fly 3000 feet over a lake and you kind of mess with your wing and make a stall and then come out of it. Um, I had a pretty, uh, harrowing crash. I, I was fine. I landed in the lake, uh, but I had to throw my reserve and it was not fun at all. And I pretty much never flew after that. I realized I didn't like paragliding enough to potentially die doing it. And I like board games a lot, and it's a lot less likely that I'll die playing board games. So that's kind of when that shift ended up happening. Um, That paraglider wing is still in my office. I never actually was able to sell it. So I see it almost every day, uh, even though I haven't flown in like five years, at least at this point. Uh, moving on, Steven asks, will you be making a video for Bonfire? Do you know anything about it? Uh, it's the new Stefan Feld game that's coming out. Um, at this point, I have no plans to make a video for Bonfire. Uh, I think that one is being published by Pegasus, and I effectively don't have a relationship with them. Um, I think I tried to talk to them at Essenspiel a couple years ago, but nothing really ended up happening there. It looks neat. I do like Stefan Feld games overall, and uh, there's a lot going on in that game. I did watch some of the gaming rules playthrough of that one, because I was curious about it. Um, I tried to read the rules to it, and if I'm being honest, it was a really hard rules, uh, 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 rule book to get through. Uh, I read a lot of rule books. To a certain extent, I consider myself a professional rule book reader, and Bonfire, I kind of bounced off of. Uh, I do want to give it a shot, but I feel like it might be more of a Forum Trajanum-type Feld game, which has more rules than I want and is kind of clunky because of all of those mechanisms trying to work together versus, you know, an Oracle of Delphi game, which does have a decent number of rules, but seems to flow a lot more uh, briskly. Same with Bruges. Uh, So I do want to try it. Um, After watching that playthrough and having a hard time uh, reading the rules, I'm less excited about it, but I'm still curious. So uh, hopefully at some point I can give it a go. I really like the idea of placing action tiles in front of you to then make a little puzzle to then cash out the actions that you will use. Um, That'll make more sense if you're at all familiar with the game, but I like a lot of the ideas in the game. I'm just worried it might be clunky as they all kind of smash together, but hopefully I'll have a chance to try it. Koiti asked, do you often sell your board games? Where do you usually sell them? Uh, well, I usually sell them at a live board game flea market. Uh, there usually are two of them a year, one in the summer and one right before Christmas at a local board game cafe. I say usually because this is 2020. There's nothing usual about this year. And obviously those have been canceled because nobody's really going to these things at all. Um, so because of that, I have a bit of a board game problem. I keep removing them from my collection and just stashing them underneath my table. There's like... 100 games underneath this table right now. Uh, Just store them under here on the table that I actually film on. Um, I am actively trying to make myself uh, get into the board game geek market to try and sell games there because otherwise they're just going to keep building up. And um, it used to be nice, you know, have a live flea market where I just um, hawk my wares and, you know, haggle with people and sell most of my games for a decent price. I I really enjoy doing that. Uh, That worked for years, but not right now. So I'll probably try to liquidate a lot of these soon over the internet. And hopefully in 2021, those uh, flea markets can happen again. Uh, DW Squirtle asked, is there a place where we can interact with you outside of this q and um, I mean, the best way is through comments on YouTube That's and I guess through Twitter as well. I follow Twitter a lot. I probably pay more attention to it than I should. And I try to be very responsive there. Um, but as far as like chat rooms and stuff like that is concerned, I don't really uh, participate in that type of thing. So yeah, definitely uh, Twitter and then just the comments on my videos. I try to be, uh, I try to respond to every single comment that comes in. Uh, oftentimes I just heart the comment to be like, yes, I read your comment and I appreciate it. Instead of writing out, thank you so much. I appreciate your comments like hundreds of times. I hope people get that, but I do try to interact at least with uh, most of the comments that come through. Uh, James asks, how do you like doing these Q and A's? Um, I really like doing these Q and A's. If I'm being honest, um, I, I, did a couple of them over the course of a couple of years, um, way back when, and I set it up as a uh, Patreon goal to hit, I think it was $1,500 a month, to then do a live monthly q and um, I ended up <laughs> cheating, essentially, and I started doing these when it was still not there. It was like $1,420 a month or so, because I just wanted to start doing them. Uh, it's a nice way once a month to chat with people. I know it's kind of a one-way thing, you know, you were typing and here I am talking, but Every single time I finish up one of these, I'm like, yeah, that was fun. And I'm always looking forward to the next one. Um, that's part of the reason I spent like $120 getting a uh, special adapter so that I could uh, hook my main camera into the QA for the first time because um, I really like these. And even though it's a very tiny part of the com- uh, content that I put out, um, it just feels really nice. Um, honestly, Part of me has been trying to think of other ways that I could integrate live content in because I do enjoy it, but I haven't come up with anything that really sticks out to me. I know a lot of people do live playthroughs of games, but I just have a hard time seeing myself get to that point. I think it's very hard to do that in a way that's actually engaging. So who knows? Maybe I'll come up with something else live to do. Uh, Nothing is really there just yet, but I'm certainly not against it overall. Uh, Alexander asked, what do you think about Wingspan, which is the bird game? Uh, I think Wingspan is fine. Uh, I got a copy of that one when it first came out. I pre-ordered it, uh, ended up making a full playthrough for that one because it won the Patreon poll and I played it several times. Let's see. I played it three times. Oh, that's funny. I thought I felt played it more, but I guess... I sort of played it four times. I generally don't log my plays when I film my uh, playthroughs. Um, I thought the game was fine. I I really liked the art. That's a beautiful game right there, having all of those unique birds. That one could certainly slot in for um, one of the more beautiful games I've played. Um, And I really like the engine building as you lay the birds out, and then you kind of activate them in order as you're going. I don't know, something about it didn't quite click with me, though. It was fine overall, but as far as long-term play, maybe it didn't have quite enough there uh, for what I was looking for. Um, It seemed like it could sometimes go a little bit longer than I wanted to as well. Um, I kind of wanted it to be more of an hour-long experience, and I had at least one game go over two hours. There was a lot of analysis paralysis in that game in particular. Um, So yeah, I think Wingspan is a really solid game. I think it deserves um, the accolades that it has gotten, even though ultimately I think I did decide to remove that one from my collection. Uh, do you listen to podcasts? Can you name your favorite one or two? Uh, yes, I do listen to podcasts. I used to listen to podcasts all the time because I used to have a lot of uh, commuting to do. Uh, but these days, um, I pretty much only listen when I'm walking the dog alone, or I guess doing the dishes. Uh, my favorite podcast is reply all. Uh, it's not board game related. I'm not sure if you're asking for board game related, uh, podcasts specifically, but reply all is a brilliant podcast. I've been listening to it since its very first episode because I was listening to the startup podcast, which was all about the creation of the company that ended up creating Reply All. Um, the stories that they tell are brilliant. Uh, I think the uh, banter between the two hosts is wonderful. Uh, and I don't know, someday I think it'd be really cool to meet them. I, I think the the podcasts they make are just so brilliant. So I really, really like those. Um, I used to like Radiolab a lot, although I'm kind of fallen down on that one. Um, I do listen to one politics podcast called uh, uh, Pod Save America. That's one I I listen to quite a bit, which will tell you something about my politics, I suppose. Um, But as far as board game podcasts are concerned, um, essentially the only one I listen to is, um, no pun included, I used to listen to uh, Shut Up and Sit Down a long time ago, like, Five years ago, I used to listen to Dice Tower. Um, So Very Wrong About Games is also a great podcast, but I so rarely listen to podcasts and I tend to prioritize the non-board gaming podcasts first that I rarely listen to any, besides the No Pun Included podcast. I think their podcast is really stellar and also I'm very good friends with Efka and Elaine. So it's kind of nice to hear their voices in my car or in my uh, speakers. Uh, But yeah, that's essentially where I'm at with podcasts. There are a bunch more, actually one more that I love and I prioritize listening to whenever it pops up is the damn interesting podcast. It's just damn interesting stories about stuff. I, I really, really like that one. I highly recommend that. Michael Glass asked, rank these from least favorite to favorite. Uh, Troops on a map, worker placement, deck building, engine building, dungeon crawler, roll and write, and tableau building. Any I'm missing? I'm sure you're missing some. Uh, I think uh, from those, I would say engine building is first, then tableau building, roll and write, then probably deck building, worker placement, dungeon crawl, and troops on a map. That's my really quick shot of my preference of all of those different mechanics. Uh, Alexander asks... Uh, what's your longest game that you had? Mine is a two-hour game of Clank. Uh, the longest game that I played was a full seven-player game of Advanced Civ. I played that one in like 2009, I think, and it was, I think, about a 14- or 15-hour day. We started at 8 a.m., and we just played the whole way through. It was a pretty amazing experience, honestly. So that is the longest board game that I've played, for sure. Uh, Rainer asks... Are there any particular industry or hobby changes this year that you hope to remain post-pandemic? Um, I think the first thing that pops in my head is the amount of online board game development that's happening. Uh, like, I'm seeing lots of different communities of board game designers teaming together with, like, Discord channels uh, to then play test each other's games like crazy on Tabletop Simulator. And it really seems to me like playtesting in Tabletop Simulator is a great way to iterate. You don't have to make the prototype and then change it all again after you have one bad test. You can just do it with these um, electronic cards effectively. So I really hope that the communities that are forming these really broad design and development communities are going to stick around once the pandemic is over and once people can play test in person a lot more. I do hope that's going to have a, a large positive effect on the overall community. Uh, Dw Squirtle asks, "What's the story betwi- behind Happy Hexagon?" So that is my board game geek username, and the story behind it is, in like 2009, I wanted to come up with a board game user uh, board game geek username. I didn't want it to be a generic one that I've used for other stuff like John gets bored, and I don't know. I just I, I liked the idea of it. I you know I like hexagons in general. I am in general a happy person. The idea of a happy hexagon sounded nice. Even at that point, in the back of my head, I was like, maybe I'll design games. Maybe I'll publish games and I'll have Happy Hexagon Publishing. Maybe that would really work out. In fact, I was this close to calling this uh, YouTube channel Happy Hexagon. Um, Jongets Games was right there. It was kind of a a quick spur-of-the-moment idea that I thought, and I was like, yeah, I like that a little bit better, Um, but I was very close to calling it Happy Hexagon Reviews, and, um, you know, the logo would certainly look uh, different overall. Maybe not crazy different, but uh, would be a little bit different overall. If I'm being honest, I was a little bit egotistical when I when I went with that change. I liked the idea that people would know my name. Uh, I liked Happy Hexagon for a YouTube channel quite a bit. I liked it as my username on BoardGameGeek, but having my name in the title just sounded nice. Like, people will know my name if I go to conventions. People just know my name is John. I don't have to start the video off saying, you know, welcome to Happy Hexagon. My name is Jonathan Cox. It's just right there. Everybody knows my name. So maybe I was a little bit too full of myself there. <laughs> All right. I think... At this point, I should probably wrap this one up. I can see that there are a couple of other questions. I can very quickly say, Alexander, yes, I played Treasure Island, and it's a really neat experience. I talked about it in uh, one of my impressions vlogs. So just Google John Gets Games Treasure Island Impressions Vlog, and it should pop up, and I'll talk about it a whole bunch to you uh, via YouTube. Uh, So, yeah. I think I will log some of these last questions to potentially start the next monthly uh, uh, live Q&A with those, if they make sense. And um, thank you so much for coming in. As always, it was a really good time, and I'll probably do one of these again in the first week or two of October, which is the next month. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, until then, um, have a great month.